recordings from Soundography, a crash course in music, one band at a time. I'm Brian Ibbett. I might be Hammond Chamberlain. <laughs> Very good. I was thinking, oh, he's going to be the rabid child, or he's going to be the big Duluth, or he's going to be... Uh, so many characters we can pull from. Yeah, that probably will give you a little bit of a hint as to who we're talking about. We're talking about a band called They Might Be Giants, a band that, that I discovered way back in 1986. I'll tell that story when we get to that album because it's a it's a fun story. And that I've been kind of been a fan of ever since, although I would say probably in more recent years, I just haven't been able to keep up with their volume of work. You kind of came into this knowing... Like basics. Four songs, three songs, three, basics. four songs. Yeah, the basics like Istanbul, uh, of course. Yeah, whistling. Um, what is it? Whistling in the dark. Uh, whistling in the dark. Yep. And then there's another one that I cannot remember the name of off the top of my head, but it always just existed for me in college. Yeah, it was always just yeah. there. And when I when we get to it, I'm sure I'll bring Probably it up. Anna Ang. Uh, that seemed like it was a huge college radio staple. Yeah, I'll have, um, when we get there, I'll figure it out. But yeah, okay. I only knew two or three. So this was all very eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. listening to the evolution was actually really fascinating. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can, I mean, and they were so prolific. They put out albums so frequently that that evolution happens right before your ears. You're able to hear from album to album mm-hmm. the, you know, proficiencies on, the, on their uh, musical, you know, their instruments, but also developing a much more complete sound mm-hmm. and just uh, and just the infusion them. of money i mean the albums sound yeah. better f- from year to year and For so sure. all that evolution it's one of the few bands we've had that you can watch the up ramp or mm-hmm. listen to the up ramp all the way through you really can yeah all right well let's talk about them uh it's a couple of johns john linnell and john flansburg met or john flanberg i keep wanting to say it's it is Flansburg with an S. Yeah, John Flansburg met when they were teens living in Massachusetts. They started writing songs while they were still in high school. And then they separated and went to different colleges, but then got back together reuniting in 1981. Their first concert was in Central Park for a Sandinista rally. <laughs> uh, they went by the Grupo de Rock and Roll. Not too long after that, they took on the name from a 1971 film, They Might Be Giants. But- that's also pulled from Don Quixote. Like the windmills, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Don Quixote saying they might be giants. Yep. Interesting. I didn't realize that. I know it was an Edgar G. Robinson film, but I didn't know that the quote or the that that title was taken from uh, Don Quixote. Their first shows had Flansburg on guitar and Linnell on accordion and sax. They either used a drum machine or pre-recorded tape for the rhythm section, which is why they put in a, created a rhythm section one ad. Uh, they quickly developed a style that featured unusual subject matter and clever wordplay. So thinking about it real quick, the uh, modern day uh, Buckethead has like an old iPod that he uses for all of his backing instruments. So it's not oh, really? its not out of fashion. It still happens. No, it definitely still happens. I think when we saw Liam Finn, uh, the son of uh, Neil Finn from Crowded House, Liam opened up for Crowded House and he... He's a one-man band, so basically he had to use a lot of stuff that was somewhat pre-recorded, although he used a sequencer for a lot of his mm. songs and like did it live. And it was like, oh, this is great. Well done. It's a really cool thing. And going back to the their unusual subject matter and style, yeah. they also started using wacky props like giant fezes and big cutouts right. of heads. And they're kind of being a more straight, almost a more straight-laced Weird Al because Weird Al's way wacky. These guys were just short right. of Weird Al wacky. They were. They they 
kept things on the the pop side of the novelty song line, which I think is really easy to just go, hey, we're going to be crazy and wacky and nuts and cross that novelty barrier. And then you're on Dr. Demento and you're not getting any college radio airplay. These guys kept it just on that safe side, just <laughs> inside that line and made stuff that, you know, some of their stuff could potentially be played on Dr. Demento. You could hear the entirety of, of fingertips because it's such a, a bizarre novel idea. Um, or some of their songs, you know, would fit on there. But for the most part, it's like, yeah, not not quite novelty. Novelty elements, but but not uh, not full of novelty. And you know, not to rip on on Kiss one last time, but this is the kind of thing that I wanted from Kiss. Not the novelty thing, not the the wordplay, but the subject matter for the songs that was different from the, hey, we're recording a rock concert, and boy, do I want to have sex with you afterwards, or. I was in a hotel and this hot chick walked in the lobby or things like that. Like give us some, give us some bizarre characters or just different characters that aren't Gene, Paul and and the gang, Ace and uh, Gene, Paul and the kisses. Gene, Paul and the rest. <laughs> the nice thing about They Might Be Giants in comparison to Kiss is they gave us different points of view. Not every song was about I. Exactly. Yeah, completely. Like so few of their songs, like the, you know, they've got a song called They Might Be Giants. They've got a song called Rhythm Section One Ad, and those feel very autobiographical. But then you get to Anna Ang. It's about a guy who's in love with a woman who lives on the other side of the world. You've got I mean, just looking through their list, there's so many, so many songs that introduce us to these bizarre characters. A kid that sits on the C B radio all day long named Rabbit Child or a a, a, a kid who drives at her uh, big wheel to the Toys R Us every day on Toddler <laughs> Highway. 30 seconds, 30 seconds of Toddler Highway. And it's like, it paints this beautiful picture of this. You see it, like you visualize all their songs as almost animated cartoons or, or um, Pixar movies. That's uh, what I absolutely love about them. From 1984 to 1987, they were the house band at Darinka, a Lower East Side club in New York, word spread and their shows would sell out as they neared the end of that run. In early 1985, they released a flexi disc called Wiggle Diskette, also at Dorinka. It had demos of Everything Right is Wrong Again and You'll Miss Me. Left one's old and the right one's new and I bought the right one just for you. Go find a man to fit my shoes. You kill me with the way you talk. Mortician's waiting with a shovel on a fork but I'll remain sitting on this fence. A mind of blur of common sense. A forced hiatus because of a broken wrist for John Linnell and an apartment burglary for John Flansburg provided them time to start writing some more songs. And they would record them on answering on an answering machine and then advertise the number so people could call it up and hear it. It was called Dial a Song. Yeah, I called Dial a Song way back in the day. And it was um Let's see, the, the advertisement, because this wasn't a toll-free number, but they advertised it as toll-free if you call from work or something like that, <laughs> which I'm sure got somebody in trouble somewhere. But it was great. Like, you'd hear a brand new song every week. I maybe did it, you know, 10 times. But what, uh, what was great is later on, they started including not just some of these songs in other places. I think e-music 
back when there was an e-music, or maybe there still is an e-music, had collections of the Dial-A-Song songs, the ones that didn't make it get fleshed out and put on albums. But then they'd also include recordings of the, because it was an answering machine, so people could leave a message after the after the tone. Or in, in one case, people would just be talking about what they just heard and not even thinking about the fact that it was recording them. And you get this weird conversation on one of their EPs that they include of a couple, you know, a couple people, thick New York accents saying, what did you think of that? That was something that I saw this in the village voice. It was, there might, there might be giants. It was so weird. <laughs> did you hear that? It was so weird. What is that? <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, they also released a cassette that somehow was given a review in People Magazine. And then they were signed shortly after that. <laughs> Wow. I'd love to hear the story of how that happened. Yeah, I would too. Through the 80s and 90s, Dial-A-Song would play one song at a time, ranging from demos and various songs until it ended uh, in 1998. In 1988, the machine recorded a conversation talking about how the band made money with Dial-A-Song. This conversation was a hidden track on the EP. She was a hotel detective. And the guy that spoke, I don't know who he is. Yeah. But that's, but it doesn't sound like no answering machine, right? No, they ain't an answering machine because they're not saying anything. They just. But what does he get? How does he make money on this? Whatever he's having. There just proves that I don't read ahead on these things because that's exactly <laughs> how do these how does there might be giants make any money? I don't understand because it's a free call. <laughs> so funny. In the 90s, they tried moving to a digital option, but it crashed a lot, so they went back to the tried and true analog. Now let's get to their albums. 1986, the debut album just called They Might Be Giants. This gained success on college radio stations and the video for Don't Let Start was a hit on MTV. And it was exactly there that I saw this bizarre video of a couple of guys playing around with a giant. I thought it was Ed G, Edward, Edward G. Robinson's head, but I think it was, um, I, I assumed, I think it was William Frawley who played Fred Burtz on I Love Lucy because it just is this old guy, this old guy face. And they're just dancing around playing this, you know, Don't Let's Start song, the two of them. Uh, and they've got this giant head, this giant uh, old man uh, cutout. And I thought, all right, well... I really like that song. I wonder if I'd like the rest of their stuff. So we went to this place nearby called Recycle Records. It was me and my girlfriend at the time. And we, so Recycle Records didn't have, this was like, this was like your, you know, they buy used, they sell used, they sell new, obviously from the name, buying used and selling it and that sort of thing. And I asked, you know, I said, I found that they might be giant CD, but it's like, I'm not going to buy this $14 CD just for one song. So I asked if if they had a machine, you know, like a CD player that I could listen to it and, and hear some of the other songs before I bought it. This is what people did, by the way, folks. When there was a hit single and you want to know what the rest of the album sounded like, you couldn't just go to Spotify or iTunes or whatever and listen to it. You had to, you either took your chances or you found a music store that had the ability to let you listen to other songs on the album. And that's kind of what I was expecting. You know, Virgin Records had those listening stations where you could punch in the number on the, the barcode of an album and then it would play 
first 30 seconds of every track from that album so you could listen to it and see if you liked it. And that's kind of what I was thinking Recycle Records would do. But no, they put it on the CD player that played music in the whole store, this whole (laughs) full of people store. And you get this like, everything right is wrong again. It's like, okay, that sounds like a pretty typical song. And then he skipped to the next track and it's put your hand inside the puppet head. (laughs) (laughs) Memo to myself, touch the puppet head. (laughs) And uh, I think I let it go four songs in. I think it got to Don't Let's Start. I just said, you know what? I'm buying it, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It was was partially because I enjoyed it. But the other part of it was that I just didn't want all the people staring at me, like sitting at the counter, like I requested them to play this. That's really funny. Yeah, I was on the bleeding edge of uh, of They Might Be Giants uh, pop- <laughs> popularity. So do you want to hear a funny story about listening stations for me? Of course, yeah. I I had owned the Dream Theater Image and Word, Images and Words album on cassette for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And, or not years and years, but I'd owned it for quite a while. And sure. Pulled Me Under is their, their one huge hit. And when I got the CD of it, I stuck it in the player and there was a squeak right at the beginning of the song. Mm, I'm like, what's okay. wrong with my CD player? And I'm like, what is that? So I, I got in the car and ran to a local record store, pulled out, pulled out that di- a, a disc and threw it yeah. in the listening station. And it was still there. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's fret <laughs> noise. I've never heard that fret oh, noise oh. in the oh years gosh. that I've had this album. Yeah. Just not until you heard it clearly uh-huh. for the first time. Yep. Oh my God, that's so funny. There's a, God, what was the Queen song? Uh, Just 17, all you want? I've got to look up by the lyrics. It's a Sheer Heart Attack. Oh yeah, okay. It's the, it's, I would say it's the title track of Sheer Heart Attack, but the song Sheer Heart Attack came out the next year on News of the World or the, or the year before or something, or I guess it was afterwards. They did Sheer, they did the album Sheer, Sheer Heart Attack, and then they, had a song called Sheer Heart Attack they include on their next album. Anyway, there's a, right after the line, so the the initial lyric is, well, you're just 17, all you want to do is disappear. You know what I mean? There's a lot of space between yours. And then there's a, like, a, a little bit of an instrumental, a little guitar lick for a while. And during that, one of the band members goes, yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. But it's covered up really heavy by the song. And... We're, uh, we're listening to this, you know, my uncle bought this album and we're listening to the first time. I think this, I want to say this is the opening track. We're listening to it and that yep comes on and we immediately think it's my grandmother yelling down the stairs for us <laughs> to do something. So we stop the song and we're like, what? And no response. What? We go upstairs. What did you need? And she's like, I didn't call you. Like, oh, okay, go back down, listen to it. And I think we... <laughs> I got fooled by it twice. I think there was a second, like went back to it because it just, it it's so buried. It doesn't sound like a clear vocal. It sounds like you're not hearing something. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounded different for whatever reason, it sounded different the second time. So it, it sounded like the stewardesses do when you put your noise canceling headphones on. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you take it off. I'm going to need a yes from you if you're going to sit in the exit row. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. Anyway, some some fun, you know, uh, list, the listening uh, station talk and uh, getting to hear albums clearly for the first time. Yeah. Uh, 1988, Lincoln. This was named for their hometown. Anna Eng, the uh, opening track, reached number 11 on the modern rock charts. Men and I are getting old and we still haven't walked in the glow of each other. 
And both their first release and this album were released on 8-track, which I think that was right at the tail end of 8-track even having players. Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when the last time I actually saw an 8-track machine available to purchase was. So this had to be like a, you know, this is their kind of quirky yeah. novelty style. It's like Lemon Demon like, re- 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 releasing his stuff on minidisc. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, the singles were They'll Need a Crane, whoops, and Purple Toupee. Did not realize that was a single. They covered trouble, <laughs> romantic relationships, and political satire. Stylistically, they have a touch of uh, sea shanties to jazz. In 1989, they were signed by Electra Records. This gave them more money to record and produce. In 1990, they released the album Flood. This was certified platinum. Birdhouse in Your Soul, that's the one. That that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. 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 Reached number three on the modern rock charts, as well as the, their cover of the four lads, Istanbul, not Constantinople. New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. You just liked it better that way. Istanbul was Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? So Istanbul had been the only They Might Be Giants song that I really could identify as a They Might Be Giants song for a super long time. Yeah, that thing went huge. I mean, that was that was such a massive uh, hit that that uh, so many people don't even realize it's a cover. This is one of those great cover stories where uh, a band makes a song so much their own that. that you don't realize it's a cover until way, way later. Just so you know, there's also a very cool acapella version done by a group called Focal Point out of Brigham Young University. It's on one of their albums. It's probably closer to the original Four Lads, which was also acapella. That, um, and Birdhouse in Your Soul, if you remember the TV show, Bringing Up, Bringing Up Daisies, or uh, Bringing Up Daisies? Sick. Uh, pushing, pushing, pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies, yeah, okay. Pushing yeah, Daisies. Yeah, okay. I never watched it. I, I, I heard of it. I just never watched it. Dude, it is so good. You gotta, yeah. It, it is. We it's had a lot saying. of dead people TV for a while. We had Six Feet Under. We had Pushing yeah, Daisies. Dead Like Me. We had a lot uh, of dead TV for a while. We still do. Dead to Me is still popular. Uh, there's there's a lot of dead on TV. Anyway, so that show had Kristen Chenoweth, uh, big you know stage star, Ellen Green, who's also done a lot of stage work, but she was also Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. You know, with the with the voice, Seymour, that uh, that woman. Anyway, the two of them do a duet of "Birdhouse in Your Soul" on that show, and it just feels like the weirdest uh, song for for them to choose to do a cover of. But it's it's fantastic. Their recording tools included a Casio FZ1 keyboard for all of their home base sampling, and then the song "Minimum Wage." Yeah, it only has. Those two, those two words in it, but it sampled a Sinatra version of uh, the song Downtown. Okay, so this reminds me of that Spark song. The one that, uh, my baby's taking me home, my baby's yes. taking me home, that one. Yeah, yeah. where it goes on. That's, that's called uh, My Baby's Taking Me Home. <laughs> it's like that where it goes beyond, it gets funny and then it stops being funny and then it lasts long enough to be funny yes, again. Yes, 
Exactly. It rotates. It somehow makes it back into being, like it goes from being funny to irritating back to funny. Yeah. And uh, it's so bizarre. They did that live. I saw Sparks live this summer and uh, they did that one live. And uh, it was, I enjoyed it all the way through. Instead of being annoyed by it halfway through, I just let it wash over me. And like, <laughs> like, you know, there's a, there's a definite, like, there's a shift in the tone of the song at one point. And it's like, like, you know, there's a, a sadness about my baby taking me home, but then there's a happiness about my baby <laughs> taking me home. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like a, uh, a life story. Uh, <laughs> like it's birth. like that conversation of all those guys having a full conversation, only saying the word dude. Yeah, it kind of is. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. That, that old uh, David Spade comedy bit. Dude, dude. Dude. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Anyway, that that cut and paste that back into our Sparks show, would you? Just kidding. <laughs> Warner Brothers released two animated videos of their songs, Istanbul and Particle Man for Tiny Tunes. Yeah, the uh the Particle Man one is is, you know, your straight up Tiny Tune Adventure 2D animation. Istanbul is done with like um stop motion paper mache people. And it's really cool, but boy, is it weird. It's really weird. In 1991, a B-Sides compilation called Miscellaneous Tea was released. This contained previously released material, except for the song Purple Toupee. Somebody put their fingers in the president's ears And it wasn't too much later they came out with Johnson's wife I remember the book depository where they crowned the king of Cuba That's all I can think of, but I'm sure there's something else Nineteen ninety two saw the release of Apollo eighteen, the, the album, not the spaceship. Uh, the singles were "The Statue Got Me High," "I Palindrome I." There's a song where, like Kiss, where it's all about I, and the guitar uh, "Lion Sleeps Tonight," which does have a melody cover of the Tokens "Lion Sleeps Tonight," but but nothing else. This album was one of the first to take advantage of the shuffle feature on CDs. Fingertips was 21 separate tracks that not only worked together, but when played in random order, would find them falling in between other songs on the album. Because of mastering errors uh, in Australia and UK, this didn't work there. That's a bummer. Yeah. That, like, defeats the whole purpose. Do you remember the Flaming Lips released that album that was over the course of four CDs and you had to play them all at the same time? Oh my God, I do remember. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. See, they're, they're, they're in that same kind of line as uh, TMBG. Very, very much the, we're almost novelty, but we're not quite novelty. Wayne Coyne is one of those brilliant, like he is a Brian Eno level producer as far as creating the, uh, the weird. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite thing about that though, is a friend of mine I worked with at the jail bought the album then brought it in and says, Hammond, you're the only person I know who have four CD players. Can you make this all on one tape for me? <laughs> and I did. Because I did you have did. four CD Did you really CD? have yeah. four CD yeah, players? I did. That's yeah. hilarious. So you probably had to look, use a Discman, like a, a Sony Discman. And then I actually, a desktop one. I had, I had uh, yeah, I had a Discman. I had the computer. I had a CD player and then another Discman. And I ran it through a four-track mixer and uh, wow. put it all on a, on a tape for him. Wow. <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Uh, so damn funny. Yeah, of course. Of course you would. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was around this time that they decided they needed a band for their live shows. They hired Kurt Hoffman for Keys and Reeds, Tony Malmoni on bass, and Jonathan Feinberg on drums. Later, they would add Eric Schumerhorn. Would you say Schumerhorn? I'd say Schumerhorn. I'd say Schumerhorn. As a second guitar player. 1994, they released John Henry. This album featured a, a more guitar-heavy sound. It had mixed reviews from fans and critics. And uh, the only song was uh, Snail Shell was released as a single. And now I'm where a snail has to be. I want to thank you for me back in my snail shell. I want to thank Nineteen ninety six saw the release of Factory Showroom. This was released to little fanfare and prompted the band to return to their more interesting and diverse sounds. I can hear you. I can hear you. Was recorded at the Edison Laboratory on wax cylinder, not using any electricity. They they were big, like they even had a whole song called the Edison Museum. They were really big on their their um, science connections. Uh, New York, the song is a cover of the band Cub, and James K. Polk is about the Napoleon of the Stump, the eleventh president, <laughs> and has served me well. It has served me well in trivia. You know, if I get a question about James K. Polk, I'll usually be able to answer it because they they give you so much information. Eighteen eighty four. Uh, Martin Van Buren. It's it's hilarious. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> Iron Maiden did that too. Alexander the Great and some of these other historical oh, figures yes. they did songs about. And you know, they. It's amazing how educational music can be when you actually get beyond some of the hits. Exactly. Yeah. Who needs Schoolhouse Rock when you've got this? Uh, the SEXXY EP was released also in 1986. The title track is an ode to getting it on. Unquote. <laughs> After this album, they left Elektra Records. In 1998, they released the mostly live album, Severe Tire Damage, but it did spawn a single, Dr. Worm. I live like a worm. I like to play the drums. I think I'm getting good, but I can handle criticism. I'll show you. They added uh, Danny Weinkoff and Dan Miller to fill in the sounds on their live shows. And they still work with the band even as of now. Wow. Yeah, not surprised. Because that, that adds, it fleshes out their sounds so much and they can do, you know, they can they can go off on, and do uh, improvisational bits mm -hmm. because they're not mired, locked into a drum track. They Might Be Giants was always leading the way and in innovating with their use of the quote-unquote internet. In 1992, they were using Usenet groups to send updated updates to their fans. And in 1999, they were the first major label act to release an entire album on quote-unquote MP3 format. And whoever knew that that would catch on? Yeah, that was uh, e-music. I remember getting that. Uh, in, in did you use Winamp? <laughs> I did it. I did it one time, but uh, did you make your own? Yeah. Did you make your own skins for it, or did you just find them online? 
Oh, I absolutely just found them online. I ain't got time to make my own skins. I probably just even used the default skin for the longest time. Uh, I found a couple amazing. that were really cool. There was one that made it look like it was drawn by the Simpsons artists. Oh, and I loved cool. that one. 1999, Long Tall Weekend. This release made them the most downloaded band of 1999. And both critics and fans liked this album. Also, in 1999, they appeared in the generational touchstone film, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> Uh, some reason I think you might have added that. <laughs> I love doing that with the movies. I know. Yes, I'm glad you do. They worked on a project for McSweeney's publishing company that ended up being a 44-track CD that you listened to as you read their literary journal. The disc appears in issue number six of the Timothy McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, and it's called the They Might Be Giants versus McSweeney's. Wow, I have never heard of this. That sounds so cool. In 2000, they might be giants set up dialasong.com. It was more reliable and used, used a little technology called Flash. Yeah, kids, look it up to stream the songs. <laughs> In 2002, the answering machine broke. Fans sent them new ones and the service was restored. In 2006, it had been difficult to keep Dialasong going. And in August, the service finally ended. However, in 2015, it was reactivated. <laughs> 2001 saw the release of Mink Carr. And unfortunately, Timing-wise, this was released on 9-11. This is one of their most eclectic releases. It was recorded in different studios with different producers, and it had a lot of guest artists. It has power pop tunes like Bangs, and it finished with Lies to Dance music and ballads. Also had a tribute album. Uh, some some artists got together and did a full cover to cover, track by track tribute to oh, wow. Car. So yeah. do you know what else was released on uh, that day? Uh, I'm afraid to ask. No, it was Dream Theater uh, live oh, live from New right. York. Scenes from a memory. God, that's right. Oh, that's even more ill, Ill fated. In 2002, they released the album. No. This album was an enhanced CD with interactive animations for almost all the songs on the album. This was their first of many children's albums. Yeah, perfectly perfectly suited just to kids. I feel like this is kind of the way the Aquabats went because they leaned more into the the, the t- weird kind of kids TV show. Sure. And I feel yeah. like that they, they, they kind of went the Yo Gabba Gabba route, route. Yeah, I think so. And I think you could see other artists who could potentially do this. I think um, Jonathan Colton is a really good example of uh, of an artist who could release kids' albums and even go the route of- When he's not getting ripped off by Glee, yeah, he'd be great. Tell me about it. Uh, (laughs) uh, The album No sings the praises of imagination, robots, and most importantly, sleep. They Got Lost is a rarities album. There's another autobiographical song. It's all about them- the two of them getting lost on the way to an on-air appearance for a radio station. And it's seriously, the song is is them looking at the map and saying, I think it's this way. And the other John says, no, I think we made a wrong turn. And Wait, what were they looking at? They were looking at a, a map. What, what, what exactly <laughs> perhaps, is that? Perhaps some printed out map quest uh, directions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were early adopters of the internet, so I'm sure it was printed map quest. In- <laughs> it probably was printed map quest, yeah. In 2003, they released Gigantic, A Tale of Two Johns, a documentary profiling the band. Also this year, they released their first book called Bed, 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 and it was an illustrated children's book. 
And the kids would say, no, 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 thanks to their album. In 2004, they started one of the first artist-owned music stores. And in 2004, they also released the Indestructible Objects EP. When I get through this day, can someone tell me how? And how much longer now am I away? That same year, they released an EP called The Spine. Uh, as well as, I'm sorry, they released an album called The Spine, as well as an EP called The Spine Surfs Alone, which was also released around around the same time. Uh, Experimental Film was the single from this album. And the Homestar Runner guys, Matt and Mike Chapman, uh, did videos for these. And I'll be honest with you, I'm only vaguely familiar with Homestar Runner. Same here. I know it was a big... The popularity of that stuff was huge. I think it was time, big millennials. I, I think it was a millennial target so. thing. And I think yeah. I was just too old to care. I think so. I think uh, in the same place. Hopefully, hopefully Matt and Mike Chapman aren't listeners to Soundography. Otherwise, they just stop they're listening. They're fine. They'll, they'll just they'll lean back on their giant piles of money and be fine. <laughs> they'll go to sleep on their big pillow filled with money. <laughs> Another animated video was made for Bastard Wants to Hit Me. <laughs> not a kid's song. No, definitely not. This collaboration also included Puppet Gym segments with Puppet Homestar and the music for a strong bad email titled Different Town. They contributed a cover of Tippecanoe and Tyler 2 to a Spike Jones project called Future Soundtrack to America. Oh, who has heard the great commotion, motion, motion all the country through? It is the ball rolling on for Tippecanoe and Tyler 2. And after the 2004 tour, a planned hiatus was announced. Flansburg had plans to work with his wife on a musical called People Are Wrong. I don't know if that ever saw came to fruition. Yeah, I don't know either. And, and I know that one of them did a solo project called Monopuff. I don't know if you have that in here, but... Uh... There was, for a while, there was a... I don't remember. I wrote these a while back. In 2005, uh, another album called Here Come the ABCs, you can probably guess, is another children's album. This was recorded and released under the Disney label. The band had full creative control, though. The Mouse, the House of Mouse did not exert their control over it. And, and this was a huge hit and was certified gold. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you work with Disney, you do something for kids. Oh, also, I am are, sure all yeah. the parents... Yeah. who listened to them in college, had kids. Oh, and sure. Were, Perfect. were buying it for the for themselves and for their kids. Like, yes. I'm sure the dads and moms, one of the records was, ooh, I'm going to get this album for the kids. And then the kids never really heard it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, the, kids will, the kids will listen to this uh, uh, at some point. Yeah, exactly. Venue Songs came out in 2005. This was a two-disc CD DVD that had John Hodgman narrating. It was a concept album based on all the venue songs from the prior tour. At each stop of the 2004 tour, they had written a new song for each venue they played. That's amazing. It's kind of like uh, Ben Folds and Rock That Bitch. 
Yes, it is. And it's and it's great too. Like that album is really good. And it's not just the same song with different lyrics. I mean, it is like a unique song that sometimes only barely mentions the town. <laughs> From 2005 to 2014, They Might Be Giants had a podcast that was released monthly, sometimes bi-monthly. It consisted of remixes, rarities, covers, new songs, and skits. It was very good. In 2006, they recorded a track for the 200th Strong Bad Email, where Linnell provided the voice of the Poopsmith for the Homestar Runner guys. Also this year, they wrote a 14, I'm sorry, they wrote 14 new songs for a Dunkin' Donuts ad campaign. And they also covered There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, speaking of Disney, for Meet the Robinsons. A song that I don't know if you can even hear in Disneyland anymore because it was part of the uh, Carousel of Progress, which is now, for a while it was Stark Technologies, and now I think it's a Star Wars shop with uh, stuff you can, like you can custom make phone cases and things like oh, that. Oh, wow, there. okay. Yeah. In 2007, they released an album called The Else. The Dust Brothers helped in the production of this album. The initial run of this CD contained another disc of bonus material called Cast Your Pod to the Wind. The title was a parody of Vince Garardi's Cast Your Fate to the Wind, which, by the way, is one of my mom's favorite songs. Oh, sure. Yeah, she loves that piece of music. That's that's wild. I only know Vince Guaraldi for, of course, the Charlie Brown music. I didn't realize he ever did anything oh, else. Oh, yeah. He's done a lot of good stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I would encourage you to explore more of his work. That's cool. It's like a very Han- clever play on the uh, title, too, with podcast, cast your pod. Yeah. To the and, and just so you know, like Herbie Hancock did a whole lot more than just rock. Uh, rocket. Well, well, that I know because okay. I know just, a lot of the, the stuff that got uh, adapted <laughs> from his music. Herbie Hancock, I know. It's Geraldi, <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, only know those two songs. 2007 saw the band write a commissioned work for the League of Electronic Musical Urban Robots. Which is probably <laughs> still better than League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Probably, yeah. Also, I, I wonder if it's it's got to be intentional that it spells lemur. <laughs> <laughs> they also covered the song Havelina for a Pixies tribute album. In 2008, they released Here Come the One, Two, Threes. This was a CD DVD follow up to the acclaimed and previously mentioned Here Come the ABCs. At the 2009 Grammys, they won the Best Musical Album for Children. Well deserved. Uh, 2009, yep, you predicted it. Here Comes Science. This introduced natural, formal, social, and applied sciences to the uh, target age child listeners. And this was another CD DVD set. I'm kind of glad they stopped before. Here comes politics. That, uh, <laughs> Here comes anatomy. Probably, <laughs> right, probably <laughs> biology. Yeah. Probably not, not, not so good. 2011 saw the release of Join Us. Two singles were released. Can't Keep Johnny Down, and you probably get that a lot. Videos made, were made for Spoiler Alert, Cloisson, and When Will You Die? 
Not a kid's song. Uh, not a kid's song, for sure. They really go back and forth. <laughs> it's like Robert Rodriguez. He makes Spy Kids and does like From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> That's right. In October of 2011, they performed at an in-game musical event for Adventure Quest Worlds. I don't know what this is. I guess it's like a Second Life where you know the band can be virtual. Yeah, who uh, who was it? Who did the... Oh, PlayStation might have had Adventure Quest Worlds. Okay. That might have been a PlayStation thing. Although they weren't Sony, so... So Marshmallow, yeah, Marshmallow, the guy, he did yeah, a the, virtual the concert. Yeah. yeah. Where did he do it? Was it Fortnite? He did it? I think his was his was in Fortnite. Yeah. yeah. But there have been bands. I think Paramore did something for Second Life. Uh, 2013 saw the release of Nanobots. This was released digitally a week before the physical discs. And the song layout and length has people comparing this album to the Apollo 18. Oh, interesting. Call Your Mom, Black Ops, and Lost My Mind were released ahead of time on the Nanobots EP. Nowhere to be found, probably buried on the ground. I go try to dig it up, but I don't want to waste my time. To summarize, this whole planet is Flood, live in Australia, was released as a free digital download in 2015. And the band at this point, 2013, released a, uh, sorry, in 2015, released a new song every week for a year on the newly restarted Dial-A-Song. So back to Dial-A-Song. 2015's Glean, this was the uh, entirely the first four months of the Dial-A-Song project. So if you ever want to go back and hear all those, you can that way. 2015 also saw the release of Why, another in their children, a series of children's albums. And Mom and Kid and Then the Kids Took Over were both used in different HBO documentaries. Or now they're called Max documentaries, I guess. Oh, yes, of course. In 2016, the band announced a break from touring. Uh, 2016, they released Phone Power. This also contains songs from that Dial-A-Song project. 2018 saw I Like Fun, uh, I Left My Body was released as an early download track. And a video was made for All Time What. I actually really like that song. (laughs) 2018 saw the release of My Murdered Remains and The Escape Team. These two albums released on the same day. My Murdered Remains had a new song called This Is Going to Go One Way. Also not a kid's album. The rest were called (laughs) from the Dial-A-Song Project. And Escape Team is a concept album based on a comic book of the same name. In 2020, they wrote Who Are the Electors? for a CNN documentary about the Electoral College. Oh, there go there you are. There is, yeah, yeah. here comes politics. Yeah, here comes yeah. politics. And then finally, uh, 2021, they released Book. This was released in digital, CD, vinyl, cassette, 8-track, and lastly, of course, a hardcover book, CD combo. The pamphlet EP, brilliant, was released in, conduct, in conjunction with this album. <laughs> the lyrics appear in the form of shape poems and are related, to, uh, all related with the, with the picture. Oh, that's kind of cool. Like those word clouds kind of thing. That's really cool. Uh, The 30th anniversary tour for Flood was called on account of a little thing we had called the pandemic. 
Shortly after touring restart in 2022, Flansburg was in a car accident and the tour was postponed while he healed. The tour has since restarted. It kind of surprises me that that uh, with all this touring that I haven't seen They Might Be Giants since the Apollo, no, the John Henry tour. I've never seen them. Probably seen them a total of four times, I oh, think. Wow. Basically, every time they came to Colorado for those first several years. Yeah, John Henry, 1984 would have been the last time I saw them. And uh, they're always just really, really entertaining, as you'd expect. I mean, you know, you, you think of them as a, a band that knows how to uh, to entertain. Uh, Hammond, tell me some statistics and general notes about the band. So they've appeared on a ton of soundtracks. The Oblongs, uh, Brave New World, an ABC miniseries, which I'd forgotten all about existed. I remember watching it, but I'd forgotten I'd seen it until I mentioned it. And then... Uh, Ed and his dead mother. Uh, they ha- also did the theme song for Dog on Fire for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, Resident Life for TLC, Higleytown Heroes for Disney. They also wrote for Dexter's Laboratory and Coward Courage the Cowardly Dog. Uh, the Boss of Me was on the Malcolm in the Middle soundtrack. Uh, their music was also used all throughout that show, which totally fits. Mm, yeah. In 2002, they won a Grammy. Uh, then they made an appearance on Blue's Clues. <laughs> I mean, again, such a weird combination of things. They covered th- uh, Through Being Cool uh, for mm. Sky High and Take Out Your Trash or else, or, oh, they did this, the Simlish thing, like uh, Howard yes. Jones did. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Sky High is a highly underrated film. That's a great little movie. I agree. It's a It's a, a disappointing soundtrack with the exception of through being cool, but it's, yeah, but it's so, like, there's some that change lyrics so unnecessarily. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it just bothers the heck out of me when they but do it. as for, far as a movie goes, it's completely yeah, underrated. Yeah, great. It totally is. It really kind of got drowned out by all the other superhero stuff that was yeah, coming yeah. out at the time. Uh, they also wrote two songs for the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, you know, the hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. I don't know if they wrote that one, but I watched a whole lot of Mickey's Clubhouse. Did you really? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. In fact, I had a gallbladder attack. I actually thought I was dying. And that song is playing in the back of the car while I'm waiting for my wife to take me to the emergency room. Oh, my God. Please let this not be the last thing I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I bought the disc for Audrey. We put it in the car, DVD player. And then yeah. I call Stacy and I say, I think I, I told her, I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm going to die. Oh and then she God. showed up at the parking lot and then took me to the hospital. And they're like, oh no, this is gallbladder. This is all gallbladder. Wow. Yeah. So hot dog, hot diggy dog is a grim song for me. Yeah. Apparently so. Jeez. <laughs> uh, they, as, as it would be. <laughs> <laughs> not a kid's song. Uh, nope. They had been asked to write some music for Coraline, but it was dropped because it wasn't creepy enough. Uh, mm. One song, other father song was kept. I'm Not a Loser was also written for the SpongeBob musical. That's cool. Perfect fit for them as well. That stuff, that's another piece of pop culture that crosses the line so beautifully between for adults and children. Yeah. And, and, I feel like they probably yeah. could have written something something for Ren and Stimpy. At the time, if they if they would have been around a little bit. I mean, I guess they were, they weren't as popular around the time of all that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, Log... Could have easily been a They Might Be Giants song mm-hmm. with that same tongue, tongue-in-cheek humor. What rolls downstairs, a loner in pairs, and over the neighbor's dog. <laughs> it's round, it's heavy, it's log. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's talk about their Stairway to Heaven song. Let's say 
like me, you get to see uh, They Might Be Giants in concert. What is the song that you're guaranteed you're going to hear them perform? Hammond, what are some of our choices? I'm blindly guessing here, just based on what I heard sure. throughout sure. stuff. And, and as I'm building the set list, what I, or my, my picks, what I saw in Greatest Hits and stuff like that. Just how, uh, I picked Birdhouse in Your Soul, Particle Man, mm-hmm. Anna, Anna, Anna Ng, Anna Ng mm-hmm. and uh, Istanbul. And Istanbul is my yep. pick for the Stairway to Heaven song. Yeah, I'd pull Don't Let's Start because that's their their first, their big MTV breakthrough. Um, that's the one I think they might have done the most in concert. Uh, we were both wrong. Uh, number one is uh, Birdhouse in Your Soul. So we had it in the list. Istanbul, not Constantinople, is number two, followed by Dr. Worm, Particle Man, New York City, the the cover of the song by Cub, The Guitar, Lion Sleeps Tonight, Twisting, Older, Why Does the Sun Shine, Uh, The Sun is a Massive Incandescent Gas, which also is a cover of a song by Tom Glazer, and Anna Eng rounding out the top 10. Don't Let's Start doesn't even show its ugly head until number 16, which really surprises me because I thought that that... Because of its early prominence, I would have thought, well, that's a, that's a, that's definitely an early, an early thing, uh, you know, early concert song. Here's what's interesting: you start, you keep going down the list. You get stuff like uh, James K. Polk and Spy and the Famous Polka and and She's an Angel. Love that song too, by the way. Uh, thought that was a that was a single, so I didn't pick it, but maybe it's not. It was not released as a single. But then you get into stuff like Fingertips, and like I'm having a heart attack and everything is catching on fire. Uh, I walk along darkened corridors. These are all songs from Fingertips, but they're not all played the same number of times. So that means they're only doing partial songs from Fingertips without doing all of the songs from Fingertips, which is really funny. That's really interesting. But yeah, now you get down to to 28 times they've done All Alone, Aren't You the Guy Who Hit Me in the Eye, Come On and Wreck My Car, Hey Now Everybody Now. These are all fingertip songs, and they've done them, looks like, uh, 368 times in concert. Wow, that's a lot of touring. They're a very tour-heavy band. You don't think they about are. them being like road dogs, but they very much are. Oh, yeah, and and those fingertip songs are just a quarter of the number of times. Birdhouse in Your Soul, they've performed that in concert 1,284 times. Wow. That's a lot of times without saying the word uh, nightlight, which is what that song is about, the Blue Canary and the Outlet by the Light Switch. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like I've lost. I feel like I've lost you. No, I'm here. I'm just. I'm just listening to you reminisce. Okay, gotcha. and, and All right, good. Ponder. Uh, let's talk about uh, covers. You know, they're they're known for some great covers. Istanbul, New York City. Uh, let's talk about covers that we'd like to hear them hear or hear them perform. Mine is uh, is kind of related to a lost. They might be Giants cover. So back in the 90s, early 90s, there was a, an Electra tribute records, uh, records tribute called Rubiot. And uh, they were going to record Queen's We Will Rock You for that. Like basically it was new Electra artists covering old Electra artists. But uh, Metallica swooped in right before them and chose Queen's Stone Cold Crazy. So They Might Be Giants had to pick a different band to cover. 
which is a bummer. They couldn't cover Queen as well. I don't know why. Somebody at Electra said, nope, we can only have one Queen cover on the album, even though Queen was probably one of the biggest artists ever come from Electra Records. And and look, I you know, I'd love to hear their version of We Will Rock You, but I feel like really the the perfect They Might Be Giants experience would be their cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. Because if you look at fingertips, it's like all these different styles played all together, one right after another, and you can shuffle them all and hear them in different order. And I feel like that is what that that's what would make a fantastic Bohemian Rhapsody cover is a band that knows how to do a whole bunch of different styles and put them all together. Yeah. So O rap would be my choice for uh for the maybe Giants cover. What have you got? So I went a little bit more serious, I guess. I uh yeah. I leaned into uh and picked Goodness Gracious from Thud, the Kevin Gilbert album. Uh this song yeah. has a lot of clever wordplay and a lot of references in it. And I think just based in that alone, it would really fit their sensibilities. And I think they could have fun with some of the some of the topics in that song. Mm, for sure. Yeah, it's a Lennon reading a book on Marx, but mm-hmm. he's talking about John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a that that song does have such great wordplay in it. It is perfect for their uh, Lennon never has to sing another Paul McCartney song. <laughs> Yes, it's my favorite line in that song because, <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you know that there were times that John Lennon had to hate singing yeah. those little sing-songy uh, yep. tunes that Paul McCartney would write. All right, let's get to our playlist. This is where we pick a few extra songs that you can listen to alongside the greatest hits and get the full band experience. Uh, we'll start with my five, the first of which is a song that I didn't realize until we started doing this episode was released as a single. And that song is They'll Need a Crane. Happiness can't see the love is sad, the love is sad. Sadness is hanging there. To show love somewhere, something needs a change. They need a change. They'll need a crane, they'll need a crane to take the house he built for her apart to make it break. It's gonna take a uh, this was on their Lincoln album, and it's it's probably their first song that really deals with a a very sweet, sad subject, which is uh, the breakup of a couple who stay together long, way longer than they think that they should, even though they um, there's cracks in the foundation, and and literally, you know, the song is about they'll need a crane to take the house that he built for her apart because uh, he's put her on such a pedestal and built this house around her that that it, it's going to take a lot more than just the two of them splitting up to separate them. It's a really, really clever, clever song. Number two for me is uh, Lucky Ball and Chain. Which is really funny because I just realized the only to crane talks about a metal ball hung from a chain. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that might be a theme in my initial deal here. Uh, Lucky Ball and Chain is uh, has got this country song about this loser whose uh, his wife is leaving leaving him, and you know he claims to have bought her, bought her a house, but it's just like a railroad shack. And all right, I'm going to say this because it it cracked me up as I was listening to it recently is that if you think of the lyrics of this song with a certain recent 
president, you've got lines like, I could shake my tiny fists and swear I wasn't wrong, but what's the use in arguing when you're all alone? The the chorus begins with confidentially. We, <laughs> you know, confidentially repeated over and over again. Uh, you know, maybe they're a little more prophetic than we give them credit for. Uh, they might be giants. Song number three for me is Dark and Metric. Long Tall Weekend. This this one was, you know, one that I liked initially, but listening to it this time kind of was a fresh, like hearing with fresh ears. The bass line almost fights with the vocals uh, at the beginning of the song because it's going in a completely direction, different direction than the vocals. But then they come together, especially when the drums kick in, then the the bass and the vocals come together so perfectly. It was just, it's, it feels like a, like a mathematical problem done to music. It's so well done. Uh, number four for me is Protagonist. Exterior man on lawn, alone at dawn. Packed the typewriter and drove off in her car. A battered automobile drives past a line sign. And now this is from the Join Us album. Uh, this one I hadn't heard before. I hadn't heard the Join Us album until this, this go-through. And uh, this song is written as a screenplay, complete with uh, dialogue and then uh, stage directions, <laughs> which is so good. It's like so <laughs> clever because it opens up an entirely new aspect to the song when you you don't just hear what the main character is singing, you hear what's going on around them that adds a completely different take to what to what's happening deals with the infidelity and murder in a hotel and stuff like that it's kind of crazy very film noir which i don't know how else you do a song with film noir other than making it a soundtrack or a, a screenplay five for me is i can help the next in line i can help the next in line have you been us before I can help the next in line. Right from the start. <laughs> I loved this song. It's the greatest lyrics ever. It's basically every trite retail counterperson phrase ever, starting with <laughs> I can help the next in line to do we have a problem here or have you been with us before? Like <laughs> it's just it's just so hilarious. And uh uh, this is on the Glean album. And it, it, just, it, kind just, of, it kind of also falls into one of the other things you like is those list songs because this is basically a list I of do. those phrases. It is list. Yeah. I, you know, I love me some lists for sure. This is the perfect example. And then six, I, I had to throw a cover in here. Didn't have any covers before now. So uh, I picked Jessica. This is from the Why Does the Sunshine EP. And it proves that the band can be absolutely amazing even when they don't have to use clever lyrics and subjects. This is a this is an Allman Brothers instrumental. And there are no lyrics in it whatsoever, but 
my God, They Might Be Giants just brings in a completely new feel to the song and it's brilliant. Uh, it's got a little bit of a different beat than the original. I had to go back and listen to the original Allman Brothers band version of the song to, to remind me of how different they made it. But it is, uh, and, and it, but it still uses those typical accordion and bass guitar and um, uh, typical They Might Be Giants instrumentation. Uh, you'll find that on the Why Does the Sunshine EP. Hammond, what you got? All right. So I picked my first one is called Chess Piece Face. It's from their self titled album. This is a clever, clever little song about someone who is a would-be Dick Tracy character. Oh my God, totally, yeah. Uh, and then Whistling in the Dark. I do well, and I've often been told that you only can do what you know how to do well, and that's be you, be what you're like, be like yourself. And so I'm having a wonderful time, but I'd rather be whistling in the dark, whistling in the dark. Whistling in the dark, whistling in the dark. This was the, this was one of the songs that I heard everywhere on campus when I was in college. It was yeah. everywhere. Uh, I had no idea it was them at first. And then when I figured out it was them, I'm like, okay, so now I know two songs of theirs. This is a really funny, fun little song, and it's very sing-alongable, and it really gets stuck in your head really, really easily. Uh, then I picked The Hall of Heads from Apollo 18. This feels just really campy. It feels like the kind of music that you'd hear as you walk through a, a historical display at like Disney. Yeah. It's like if, if Haunted Mansion and the Hall of Presidents yes, were exactly. one attraction, yes, this exactly. would be the thing that would play in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And then I picked X XTC versus Adamant on Showroom. Yeah. And this is such an amazing song. It makes me want to have other band fights. Totally does. Uh, XTC would totally win, by the way, because there's three of them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Blues Traveler versus Megadeth. That would be good, too. Who would win that one? I think uh, John Popper in his prime. Yeah, John Popper in his prime probably would win. He's got the I endurance. So. He can win. Out, he, yeah. can out, he won't get winded. Exactly. Well, he probably would get winded, but he wouldn't get knocked down. Yeah. <laughs> but if he did, he'd get right back up again. Yeah, there you go. Well done. <laughs> uh, that's not their song, though. It's just something we've already no, talked about no, this but year. It, but it works out very well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the last one I picked is I'm Your Boyfriend Now, which is a line from a, the Freddy Krueger movie. I'll do as you ask if I can figure out where you live. And though the world may think you strange, I find. But this oh, song, right. 
is a just from this perspective of a misguided stalker, which is really funny. Uh, and it made me think of a song called Nowhere Fast from Neil Morris's solo album. And it's about a guy who has this obsession with this woman. He's like, I have a I had a shirt made with your face pressed into mine, and you said that I can't wear it anymore. I can't wear it, or you'll uh, have me arrested or something like that. There's a lot of <laughs> really, really funny lyrics in there about kind of misguided obsession. <laughs> That's funny. Again, you know, showing that that um, their subject matter, like if nothing else, if 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 their music was like, all right, yeah, I kind of like their music, at least their, their writing and their subject matter has something for everyone, like yeah. really bizarre cast of characters. And, and this is the thing. you This is one of those groups where you enjoy the music at one, on one level, but then you start listening to the words and you actually have to listen and put yeah. some thought into yeah. it. And when you do that, there's a whole other level of enjoyment. Yeah. And you get so rewarded when you find these things, these little discoveries of these lyrics that, you know, some puns in there that are really cleverly done. And yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, very good. Well, Hammond, this was a lot of fun. Did you enjoy this week? I did. It was, a it, again, it was a nice change of pace. Uh, 3.11 was great, but, you know, having something completely different is also fun. Yeah. So I... I I love the the changes in tempos and, and moods that we go through with these bands because you never, if you get tired of They Might Be Giants, around, right around the corner is something completely different. And boy, is it Lincoln Park next yep. week. A band named after a, a park in Chicago, right? Isn't that I the deal? I thought it was San Francisco, but I don't, San remember. Francisco? I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, but, well, we'll we'll discover it all together next week. When, when yeah, we, uh, and, and for those that don't understand, that first album, you might not be a Lincoln Park fan, but you know off that first album by just osmosis, you know four songs off that album. <laughs> right. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, I can't wait for that. It's going to be great. This is a band that I know very little about. So this is kind of going to be my They Might Be Giants, right? Yeah. Like, you know, my, uh, the way uh, TMBG was for you. Except they have a lot uh, fewer albums. So there oh is God, that. It'll be so nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, that is going to do it for this edition of Soundography. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Email us at soundographypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on X uh, at the Soundography. We're also on threads at that same address. Visit our website, soundography.com, and check out uh, our playlists. You'll find the playlists in every single show note that we put up for every episode. Uh, you'll also find a link to where you can buy the songs. This time I'm linking to um, uh, their greatest hits. They've got a couple of really good greatest hits collections. Uh, it feels right. It just feels right. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon. Please do. If everybody listening to the sound of my voice just did a buck or more, for um, Patreon, we would uh, we could quit our jobs and uh, buy a, a palatial mansion in the hills. Not really, but it would help things out. Or a large Lego set. That's right. The Lego City uh, palatial <laughs> estate. Of course, if you love the show, leave a review to where other people can hear it uh, and discover it as, as well. It always helps for new people to find the show when you leave a, a review somewhere else. Hammond, anything to close us out? I'm glad that we did this. and. Uh... I, I, you know, this was also Philip Keating. Oh, Phil Keating. Yeah. Yes. I he, know he said, yes. uh, why don't you guys just man up and do, they might be giants. Cause he listens to these shows <laughs> and, uh, yeah. he's been bugging me to do this for a while. So I finally snuck it on the list, kind of thinking of him. <laughs> cool. Well, for Philip, uh, this is, uh, this is, this episode's going out to him. So hopefully, 
Hopefully you enjoyed it, Phil. Fantastic. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of Soundography. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you here, right here next time on Soundography.